0: Welcome to Behavior Babes podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining us today, we have Amy Evans. Hi, Amy. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's get started by having you do an introduction of yourself for our
1: listeners. Okay. It's always hard to figure out what to say. Um, So I'm Amy Evans. I'm a precision teacher And that's kind of the first thing that I'll identify as. I'm also a behavior analyst, I'm a BCBA. Um, And I've been kind of working at the intersection of education and behavior analysis for most of my career. So those are the kind of the two things that we'll probably end up talking about the most. Um, A lot of the work that I've done recently is in training behavior analysts specifically to implement precision teaching in their organizations or with their clients. Definitely. I think um, we have every
0: time I think of you, I think about something related to the chart, right? I'm like, that's that and um, sloths, right? There's, there's some story there with you and a sloth.
1: (laughs) I love it. Like I I just mentioned at some point that I decided I liked sloths. And uh, it just comes up a lot. I feel like it's one of those things that people always remember about you. So I get pictures of sloths from people or someone recently, um, like, put my face onto a picture of a sloth recently it was it was cool so I guess it's just one of those things I still have not met a sloth um I've never hugged a sloth that's on the list of things I want to do but it is just one of those things that people remember about me I will say that one thing people forget is that there's two-toed sloths and three-toed sloths and I'm a big fan of the two-toed are my favorites not the three-toed and that confuses people
0: All right. That's good information. And it's nice to know that as well. Let's talk a little bit more about precision teaching. So I've had some people on the podcast, but it's been quite a while and we talked a little bit about it, but describe it, define it, and then tell us why you're passionate about precision teaching to begin with.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I feel like this is a good time to just bring it up because this makes a lot of sense. So I'm actually publishing my first paper ever. And I'm very Congratulations. Excited about it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's uh just kind of getting getting wrapped up, so that'll be out very soon, and I'm super stoked. Um, but the whole reason that I ended up doing that, there's a special issue in um, behavior analysis and practice for precision teaching. And um, kind of the introduction that I've been working on with a couple of colleagues who are amazing is An overview of what precision teaching is and isn't so what I ended up doing was a concept analysis, um, which comes from the world of instructional design that I've just been kind of nerding out about lately so applying that to what actually is precision teaching. And I'm, I think I've captured it but I may have taken some of my own liberties so we'll have to see what the responses are to this paper. But um, the things that we came up with that are the critical features of precision teaching, what are those things that have to be in place in order for you to call it that um, are, and I'm gonna forget some of them now that I'm on the spot, of course, but of course, using the standard acceleration chart, um, using it to make decisions um, are kind of those, those two things were the beginning of that, that start. So precision teaching, And some will argue that we should be using the term precision measurement because it's really a measurement system. Um, It's a measurement and feedback decision-making system. Um, So the way that I handled that is that um, the way I described it is that precision teaching is essentially anytime you're using this data database decision-making system that involves a standard acceleration chart and pinpointing behavior and measuring behavior with with dimensional units of measurement, um, using that to accelerate a behavioral repertoire, whether it's an academic skill, a behavior, um, or I mean, any type of behavior. So academic skills, as well as language, manding, any what have you, all of those will work as long as you're essentially teaching a skill, accelerating a behavior, um, then we can call it precision teaching. So that's my kind of my new take on the definition. Either we do that or we split it into there's the teaching and there's the measurement system. Um, but people don't always, people get really excited about precision teaching partly because they get excited about the chart, but also because they see fluency-based instruction or frequency building procedures. Um, and the concept of fluency and building fluent repertoires is really closely aligned with precision teaching, so I kind of wanted to keep those all together, rather than trying to split them up. Um, So anyway, that's what precision teaching is. So it's using dimensional measures of behavior, pinpointing behaviors really specifically, um, and then measuring them as often as possible. Using the standard acceleration chart to reflect those data and making decisions based on that to improve behavior. Let me ask you a question before you get into
0: why you're so passionate about the chart or about precision teaching or measurement as well. And can you just explain for anybody who's not familiar or doesn't have a history, what the sort of overview of the difference between reflecting fluency based measures on a standard acceleration chart compared to what most people might be familiar with in in many contexts as an equal interval chart.
1: Yeah, so let's just look at the different data displays. Um, Really any behavior can be displayed on either of these graphs. Um, So the standard acceleration chart is a standardized visual display. So anytime you look at it, you'll see things are in the same places, the symbols mean the same things. And so there's a whole system set up to make sure that Once you've learned how to read a standard acceleration chart, you'll always be able to kind of capture the information in a very short amount of time and that's part of it. So the standardization is a big part of it. Um, We have some standards in in the world of behavior analysis for our graphs, but not all of the tools that we use to graph our data follow all of those standards. So some people who are real nerdy about it can get their Excel graphs to do all the right things. Um, But (laughs) that's not necessarily happening on all the tools that we use. Um, Excel doesn't do everything perfectly. Our data display and graphing softwares don't do everything perfectly. So um, the standard acceleration chart is kind of the one system that has all of those standards in place. So the standardization is one part. The other big important piece is... um, the ratio display of behavior. So the standard acceleration chart has six cycles of behavior that essentially on one, on one visual display, you can look at any behavior that may happen as, off, as, um, as infrequently as once a day, all the way up to a thousand times per minute. So the whole range of behavior is all there um, so that you don't have to ever move your axes around to capture the data that you need. So the way that it works is that rather than being an equal interval, meaning it's going up by, by one at every um, at every interval or by five at every interval or by 10, so one, two, three, four, five, or one, five, 10, 15, or whatever, um, all of those are equal interval examples. The standard acceleration chart essentially moves up in a way where everything is a ratio view of behavior. So um, it actually multiplies as you go. So you can see where one, two, three, four, five, and six, seven, eight, nine, 10 are, but then it goes 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. And as you go up, you go all the way from, again, once a day, all the way up to a thousand times per minute. So the most common view of the standard acceleration chart there's a whole family of different data displays that kind of fit in the world of the standard acceleration chart but the one that you'll probably see the most is the daily per minute scc and so that gives you the vertical axis is um, count per minute of whatever behavior you're measuring and then the horizontal axis is successive days so that's what we tend to use the most, and that's once you learn that, the rest are kind of variations of that.
0: I've been in this field for about twenty years, and I I have to say that's one of the most concise I feel descriptions of the standard acceleration chart without having a chart in front of us as well. So thank you, <laughs> that's really really impressive. And I'm not in any way claiming to be fluent with the chart. Um, not that hasn't really been where my journey has taken me. Um, one thing I wanted to, to ask you about is generally speaking, so we're looking at ratios, we're able to see rates, we're able to look at the slope. I think that really translates to how quickly someone can learn a skill, right? Or how long it's taking or how, how rapidly a behavior that might be we might be looking to decrease is occurring and how quickly can we get that challenging behavior to subside. And I recently was, was um, on a team where I was serving as the advocate and there was a behavior analyst and they were talking about um, like elopement behavior or not. OK, for those of you who are not in our field, that does not mean running away and getting married in Las Vegas to everybody else. It means like, you know, perhaps running away. So that part's still there. And they were reporting it as rate, but visually displaying it on an equal interval chart. And it, it, it just kind of looked like the behavior, it kind of seemed to occur. It looked like the rate or the frequency that they were showing was pretty infrequent. But if you were looking at it over time and if you were to transfer that data onto the chart, you would see that the slope of the intensification of the behavior was actually quite sharp. So just visually looking at it for people who are not practicing or not in our field, who are receiving and reading the chart, um, that's something that was really interesting to see the same data displayed in both ways. Um, So I'm sure with a lot of the teaching you've done, you've had some experiences with that. But I wanna get back to the question of, how did, you, how did you fall in love? What's your history? What's your background? How did you get where you're at with the chart and precision okay. teaching?
1: Sure. Um, I never know how far back to go, but um, I lived in Seattle for a little bit. I was a psychology undergraduate and um, I was at a Jesuit school. So you had to do um, some sort of community service. And my placement was with a literacy program in inner city, Seattle, um, through the YMCA. And I just remember going there. I knew, you know, I had never really worked with kids and I didn't know much about education because I was just kind of studying general psychology at the time. Um, but I was, you know, a pretty good student, and I was good at doing my homework, and I figured I could help third graders do that, too. Um, but I just remember being really confronted with the fact that I was spending all that time with them, and they were sitting there all this time trying to get help with their homework, and just knowing that I, what I was doing to support them just was, there's no way it was going to be enough, um, and I could feel that. I wanted more structure to our programming. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have the skills to teach at the time, but I remember just being like, oh, education is a problem. And especially when we have disadvantaged populations, they should have access to higher quality. You know, I'm looking around, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm an undergraduate and I'm not in, even in the education field. They should have access to people who really know what they're doing. Um, And, and that kind of stuck with me for a while. Didn't, I didn't know what to do with that energy, but I ended up moving, uh, to Reno back home. My, my family's in Reno and, um, transferring to UNR and ended up through a lot of really random circumstances, ended up getting into behavior analysis. And, um, my first, teaching or research assistantship was with Nick Behrens and I would show up to work with him at um, what was what's now fit learning it was Center for Advanced Learning Cal back then and uh, we would have our research meetings um, in the office and I would see the kids coming in and out and they all all seemed really happy and I didn't know what they did there but at some point he was like hey do you want to work for us or do you want to see what we do and he took me on a tour I sat in on some sessions. Um, it's so funny. I just never thought to ask because I was so intimidated by, you know, just kind of the real world at that time. But that was my first job in the field. That was my first, my first, um, non sandwich making job. And I loved it. I fell in love with it. I, you know, showed up early and stayed late and asked a lot of questions. And that was kind of a new repertoire for me at the time. Um, and so it was pretty clear that I just wanted to devote my energy to that. So, then I started learning about more about behavior analysis. I knew that I wanted to get the foundations. Um, I wanted to get a strong background in behavior analysis. So I took classes at UNR, and then I made sure to pursue my BCBA. Um, and I went to Penn State to work with Rick Kubina because I wanted to learn more specifically about education. Um, so I got a master's in education and um, and I wanted to be doing stuff with the chart. So I didn't know what, I just knew that I liked precision teaching. And since then, it's just kind of been my whole life.
0: It's funny how this like chance occurrence turns into our whole life. You know, I, I feel like many people can relate to that, especially um, our generational level of, of providers or of behavior analysts, right? We're not yet. I don't think at the point where people say, hey, when I grow up, I want to become a behavior analyst, <laughs> I think that that's on the cusp. I think you know we're we're getting there, perhaps with the incoming or next generations. Um, but it is—it's always this windy road that leads us to finding passion. And I, yeah. I use the word passion, not that science. Not everyone is passionate about science, even the people who call themselves scientists sometimes. But every time I meet with you, every time we've we've overlapped or connected or talked, there's always such an energy. And I like how when you were describing, you said. I didn't exactly know what to do with this energy and you, you know, or with this like desire for change, um, but you felt it and you harnessed it and, and went on that winding road and path. So um, you were mentioning off air that you have some new endeavors and I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that. And I'm excited to learn more about where, where all this has led you and what your path is leading you to next. So do you mind sharing that with our listeners as well?
1: Sure. I would be happy to. So um, over the last few months, I've founded, co-founded with a colleague of mine who I've been really admiring from afar for a long time. Her name is Liza Feber. She and I started a company called Octave. We're Octave Innovation, but we like to go by Octave. It's one word. It's punchy. So that's what we're doing. And we're our goal is to train and consult and really truly support behavior analysts especially, but also educators who are interested in bringing precision teaching, instructional design, and um, strong clinical skill sets to their teams and their clinical work. So um, with my background in kind of the education realm, and I've been out there disseminating and running workshops and um, consulting and training and coaching with Individuals and organizations learning precision teaching for the last five years or so between my experience in that and Liz has been um, Taking large organizations through the transition from traditional PT. I mean traditional ABA to a more of a precision teaching model Getting their programs on the chart helping them understand how to program um, Program in a different world essentially Um, She's been doing that for a few years as well And her background is more in the autism and and ABA interventions. So between the two of us, we've both been doing this for a while and just kind of connecting at every conference and being like, I just want to do so much more for teaching people precision teaching and there should be more resources out there. And there should be somewhere where people can go to get advanced trainings Um, because I've been kind of stuck in the world of the introductions for a long time and I'm like okay it's time for you to fly and go learn from all these other people that are too busy because they have full-time jobs already Um, so we decided to make that happen so that's what we're up to we've been just kind of announcing ourselves to the world for the last couple of months and I think 2021 we're going to be releasing some specific programs we'll have online courses and um, cohort style trainings available, um, early 2021. <laughs> fingers crossed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, literally crossing my fingers right now. Uh, so yeah, crazy. no, I have no doubt you'll be
0: successful. I was um, only saying we don't know what 2021 looks like. Yet. Exactly. It's so hard <laughs> to make plans right now. <laughs> um, absolutely. Absolutely. So for somebody who is happy with what they're doing and maybe they feel like there's a way to be more efficient or effective, but they're overwhelmed. They maybe don't have additional resources or time or they don't even know that they have this alternative or this other option to more deeply explore. I'm sure you encounter um, that group of that population of people at conferences through conversations how do you How do you approach that kind of uh, person who's at that place and say here's how here's what the value will be, or if they've asked you, maybe you don't just show up and sit down and say, "Here's the value, but if they were to ask or if they were to say, "Here's what I'm doing, how can this enhance my teaching? How can this benefit my students? How will this make improvements for my staff How would you answer those questions
1: um There's a few different answers and Some of them take a little bit longer to work through. You know, you kind of have to have a starting point or figure out what people might be most interested by. Um, But I find that there's a handful of things that get people excited about precision teaching. Um, The first is if you're a data nerd and if you're really into kind of thinking about, thinking more big picture about the future of our science as behavior, as behavior analysts, I think that there's, there's some, some real concerns with our data display and the variability in decision-making. Um, you can show the same graph to two people and have them give you different, uh, different ideas about what they would do, um, or what decision they would make, whether things are going well or not. Um, there's some, There's a lot of conversations about does our science need statistics and does that change our change our standing as a natural science? Um, I think precision teaching and the standard acceleration chart answer a lot of those questions. And that's again, that's one of those whole day conversations or whole day workshops um, that that conversation has really truly been mastered by Dr. Rick Kubina. I can't, I can't say anyone else (laughs) um, has ever been so influential in that realm, but I've seen him speak for a half day at the workshops that we used to do together. And um, by midday at lunch, people were just like, why isn't everybody doing this? And so that kind of, that kind of conversation about the future of our science and what it means to be a science and um, how our visual display as a, as a science that relies on database visual decision-making, um, our visual analysis can be greatly improved by using a standardized um, ratio graph. So the fact that we have the standard acceleration chart and people aren't using it, if you're into those ideas can, can really get people fired up. Um, we do get a lot of people fired up about that and then life sets in and the fact that they have programs and they don't really quite know how to move everything and um, a lot of people would have to be trained. Those are the barriers and so that's why I want to continue to find ways to um, create trainings that are cost effective but effective so that people can do that. The other thing that I find a lot of people come to precision teaching for is they buy into the concept of fluency and so much of the work that's been done in precision teaching although it's not the entire the entirety of what we do as precision teachers it's just kind of what we're so well known for is fluency and frequency building so the concept of fluency that um, that a skill should be effortless automatic um, second nature And you can remember it after not practicing for a while. You can do it while someone's banging pots and pans in the other room. Um, The idea of creating skills and repertoires that are that durable, um, I think really entices people. And it's a major contrast to what we've been taught, um, at least some of us have been taught to, you know, get a skill to or get a program to 80% accuracy across three days, kind of these arbitrary mastery criteria that don't always serve us. So the concept of fluency, I think, is sexy, um, and people get excited about it. I can connect that
0: to parents who may not be um, trained in this, or other teachers or educators who might just beyond the periphery or exposed to it. And you can talk to them about fluency. You can talk to them about generalization. And I really, really appreciate the word durable, like being, it's a behavior that sustains beyond people, places, and times where it's trained. And that's one of the tenets of our seven, you know, defining characteristics of behavior analysis, right, is generalization. But even people who are not trained and and not in behavior analysis, it's easy to get on board with, I want to do something and I want to do it well, proficiently and I think back to one of the trainings that were here in Las Vegas which is where I'm at at the moment and my mom attended and with Dr. Kubina and my mom is just finishing or had the time had just finished her master's she had done a bachelor's and a master's in her late 50s early 60s and here she is um, at at this training you know heart the chart and I'm there and I'm, I'm paying attention and I'm doing things and then I'm talking to someone next to me and I'm Facebooking this, you know, image and, and my mom answers what I thought was a pretty abstract question or, or not one that was blatantly clear, um, to Rick, to Dr. Kubina. And I looked at her and I said, how did you, how did you get that? And she's like, well, I just turned the learning picture. And she was so like, adorably, sarcastically, like smart about it. But she was accurate. And I thought, man, maybe I need to to put my phone down and pay a little bit more attention. And I think that speaks to not just the relevance, but also once you have someone's attention, it's not as overwhelming or difficult as I think myself and others have feared it to be. Um, And some of that comes from like my own history and lineage. I had a professor in particular in my master's program who says, I'm not going to teach you about it. They're going to take it off the task list and it's like okay but precision teaching influence here is still on the task list so uh it didn't really behoove me not to have that exposure so i, I am really glad to see that there are people like yourself and dr kabina and others and you know i think it also goes to um the point of of like you said just having meaningful outcomes from it, and then using that display to make decisions. You emphasize that in in the beginning when you were talking about the definition. Um, Was that an intentional emphasis? And and what kind of led you to emphasize that? Uh,
1: I think it has to be the one and only emphasis, and everything else kind of comes from it. So everything that we know about fluency that people really like and like to hear about is partly of just a result of um having used a specific measurement system we were measuring rates and therefore we figured out what kinds of rates people need to be performing at in order to get these outcomes that we were also measuring in terms of rates and over a course of time and on the chart so um i've i have had the experience of teaching people to use the chart and then looking back three months later and being like hey how things are going how are things going and they say oh we don't really like precision teaching and then you look at their charts and there's no decisions being made. So just because you're putting data on a chart um, doesn't necessarily mean you're doing precision teaching because you need to actually let the, the data um, shape your behavior. And so that's that's what I've always found so freeing about it as someone who has kind of been on the fringes of behavior analysis, kind of experimenting on my own um, to figure out, Oh, how do we chart this? Or how do we get this skill fluent? Or, um, I've been kind of had my own tutoring business for pretty much forever and, uh, working with my own clients and playing around with ideas. The fact that I have the the confidence that I have, that I know I'm going to do a good job totally comes from knowing that the chart's going to tell me what I need to do next. And that is, that to me is super empowering. So you asked me like, what if, what if, how do you convince people to do precision teaching? And that's, that's the last piece is that everyone we've worked with at least all the organizations that we've worked with at some point they've said, oh my gosh, my RBTs are making database decisions and <laughs> things are moving along so much faster. There's, um, there's less stagnation So um, this idea that you can trickle down the decision making because everyone's using the same display and you can teach a a couple of skill sets about looking at the data and means if you see this learning picture, that means you need to at least stop and ask somebody for help. Or if you see this learning picture, everything's going well, or don't keep running it because you met the aim and it's time to give it a few days off. So those... Basic rules can be really empowering at the organization level. You can see kind of different levels of staff being really invested in the the process. And um, I think that really helps in the long run for those cases where you really need everyone invested, even though you have a decision maker at the top deciding what to do with the case overall. Those moment to moment decisions can make all the difference.
0: The way that I hear you talk about all of this it makes me think of reinforcer sampling too. So if if I sit down with you or I'm talking with you and I'm like, what can the chart do for me? What can precision teaching do for my clients? And, and and you're like, well, here's what it's done or here's what it can do or let me take that data you have and display it for you differently. It's It can create those those aha, at least interest moments, right? Not like aha, I understand everything, but aha, I see the value. And when we see the value, Um, we're, we're, you know, from a behavior standpoint, we're more likely to increase the effort if the payout is also going to increase. And what I love the way that you're talking about it is that the results themselves become the reinforcer. So charting it, seeing the rate, not getting what you wanted, but being able to detect that. So almost instantaneously, I think also is a really nice other benefit and something that you've articulated really nicely here. Thanks for doing that. Um, I wanted to um, also ask you about, so you're, you're, you talked about how you have a publication coming up and you're excited about it. And I don't know if you want to re-release too much information, but can you tell us more about like what you were looking at? I know you were talking about defining it. Um, What, what can we look forward to and and how can we entice more people to, to access that article in particular?
1: Sure. Um, So part of defining it was going through that concept analysis and the process of a concept analysis is something I'm really obsessed with right now and I just think everybody should know and and learn about and expose themselves to because it's so super powerful so um, a lot of the work that uh, like Joe Lang and Janet Twyman have released concept analysis um, articles in the past that I I used to kind of model model this off of. And I, I found it really, really useful. So the idea of this is you, in order to define something and in order to teach it more effectively, you essentially come up with a list of the critical features, the things that must be in place in order for it to be that thing. Um, and then you come up with a list of the variable features. What are the features that can shift um, to create kind of an an acceptable set of examples that go across all of the variable features so that you capture the entirety of a concept that you're trying to teach. So as a teaching tool, I think this is one of the coolest things ever. And so it's really an amazing way to figure out how to come up with your list of examples. How many exemplars do you really need? Well, the answer to that lies in a concept analysis. So that process I'm really obsessed with, and that's what I did with precision teaching because I've been teaching precision teaching. So I think that that's the part that I like the most about it. Fantastic. I'm excited to read it. And I'm also really excited to see
0: these specialized publications in behavior analysis in practice there were ones about social inequalities. There's ones on precision teaching. I'm not sure what's coming next. I think I there was there was previously, or maybe maybe it's just a wishful thinking on sustainability. I'm not sure. Maybe that's just a suggestion for the editors. I to,
1: so.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I've got something to say on that. So <laughs> <I thought laughs> it's been might. a while. <laughs> you thought I might. I've got a lot to say about a lot of things, but Amy, I wanted to really extend a thank you so much for sharing your information and your time and for being persistent and in, in helping coordinate even this interview or this, this opportunity to have, this, have you on my podcast. Before we wrap up tonight or today, I wanted to give you an opportunity to just reiterate or share any resources, materials, links, um, how people can contact you if that's something you're interested in sharing um, before we close out the segment tonight.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, so I think that there's a couple resources that are out there right now that I just kind of want anybody who's interested in precision teaching to check out. Um, the Standard Acceleration Society is one of those. I think that that's a really great resource. The membership is um, quite valuable and the the Facebook group is actually quite a lot of fun and there's a lot of resources just kind of searching the archives there. So if you just want to, go through and see if you can find some cool stuff. I think that's a really great way to get started and get connected. Um, If you're interested in any information about Octave, we're at octavetraining.com. And my email address is amy at octavetraining.com. And um, we're somewhat active on social media, just to stay relevant. But what I'm really most interested in is having people sign up for the email list because We do send out a lot of um, free resources as well as kind of getting people's input, people who really do want to learn from us, we get their input about what we should do next. And I'd I'd like to kind of get that conversation started with a broader audience. So I would love it if people would join that list.
0: Fantastic. And I'd be happy to share any links um, from my website as well as to maybe solicit just a few moments of your time if you want to give me any Uh, feedback or additional resources it's been a while since I've updated the page on behavior babe with uh, information that's current on precision teaching or the charts. so I always ask my guests
1: I'm like hey help me out
0: but I'm happy I can help you
1: out with that I've scoured the uh I've scoured the internet for all of the YouTube videos and um podcasts and and online courses so I have a list of all those from like everybody uh and I'm haven't updated it in a few months, but I'm happy to share it.
0: That would be incredible. I really appreciate it. Amy, thank you so much for joining me again today. I really appreciate the conversation and your contributions. It's been so lovely to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And for anyone who's interested in the information Amy shared, you can find that at the websites or the um, resources that she, that she gave to us. You can also find more information that she's going to help me update at www.behaviorbabe.com you <music>